Nicola, thank you, Olga, for getting us together today. Um, ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon. Uh, I would like indeed to convey the apologies of Mr. Marinakis for not uh, making it here today. He's actually recovering from, from COVID and, and waiting to be tested this morning. So, but I do know that um, he really wanted to be here today as we come together to honor an individual whose exceptional dedication and efforts are carving a path towards a more sustainable future for our industry. As the repercussions of climate change unfold, not just here in Greece, but globally, we find instances of extreme weather, such as floods and wildfires, becoming disturbingly common. The timeline for meaningful change is tightening, urging us all to act swiftly and decisively. While shipping, as we like to say, represents only 2.9% of global emissions, despite 90% of worldwide trade being carried by sea, we firmly believe that each industry should use its best efforts to reduce its carbon footprint. We at Capital, we echo those concerns and are actively engaged in strategizing for a future-proof energy transition fleet, propelling us towards the ultimate goal of carbon-neutral shipping. The voyage towards green, sustainable shipping and aligning with the IMO's net zero objective by 2050 encompasses a mix of strategic, business and technical decision. Technically, we have identified liquefied natural gas, LNG, as the pivotal transitional fuel, a mature, sustainable solution supported by EU and global regulations. Utilizing LNG as a fuel lays down the crucial first steps in onboard operations and supply logistics, paving the way towards carbon neutrality with ELNG and green hydrogen. In renewing our fleet accordingly, we launched an expensive and diverse shipbuilding initiative encompassing the construction of 63 vessels, inclusive of LNG carriers, containers and tankers, all outfitted with cutting edge efficiency technologies and alternative fuel propulsion and options, representing an investment close to $7 billion. This bold initiative, one of the largest globally, showcases the tangible outcomes of our strategic business decisions. Among the notable highlights is our pioneering order of the world's first two liquid CO2 carriers with a carrying capacity of 22,000 cubics and two of the very first large ammonia carriers, VLACs, built in Korea, with a carrying capacity of 88,000 cubics. These orders also demonstrate how the maritime industry can also play a strategic role in the global decarbonization efforts of other industries as well, including manufacturing and power generation, and mark the dawn of a new era, fostering an integrated decarbonization supply chain. Confronting the globally urgent imperative to mitigate climate change, decarbonization surfaces as a pivotal pathway towards a greener and safer planet. It's not an easy path, but a journey that has been acknowledged as effective, uh, but it's uh, a journey that uh, has been one of the key pillars of our strategy. However, we are here today to honor an individual who has been a pioneer in uh, decarbonization. He has been a vocal voice, he has been a strong voice in the industry, and has been regularly recognized as 
an effective and influential individual in the decarbonization efforts. And I have to say, when I first met Rasmus almost probably 15 years ago, I think it was in Singapore, I was pleased to see that his enthusiasm for shipping, which was strong back then, and his enthusiasm for the diversity and challenges it engenders continues to be as strong as it was back then. During his career at Trafigura, as head of wet freight, Rasmus amassed an asset portfolio of 1.6 billion and a leading global freight book. He has been a fervent advocate for establishing a hydrogen pipeline infrastructure in Denmark and across Europe. His visionary leadership is further manifested in Trafigura's myriad renewable energy projects, as well as contribution to the development of the ammonia engine. Without further ado, let us extend our heartfelt congratulations to Mr. Rasmus Bach-Nielsen for his outstanding contributions and relentless efforts in steering the maritime industry towards a sustainable and decarbonized future. Minister, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jerry Caligaratis and CapitalLink organizers. First of all, I'm of course uh, humbled, honored, and very proud to be standing here now today in a home where there's so much shipping history. Um, I can almost get goosebumps. So I really appreciate it. I'm also proud. So I'm going to talk you through the next 20 minutes of a journey that looks back but also that looks forward on some obstacles that uh, we have gone through. I've personally seen them throughout, but also how we as a shipping industry hopefully can overcome them. It's not easy. They are visible and we are competing against our, to, to reach our own decarbonization. And we're competing against other hard to abate industries and we all need the same energy source, hydrogen. So let me start. In 2019, we engaged with a number of PhD professors at Texas A&M University. We had a challenge inside the organization. We didn't know what transport fuels of the future was. Before I then proceed on that, I go back even one further step. And that was actually thinking back this morning, where did it start? And I think my personal journey started when our CFO came back from Davos in 2018 and uh, sort of sitting back and uh, asking him, so what went on? And he said, listen, the, the banks, they started talking about coal that coal is going to disappear, we don't want to finance it. And uh, a year later, he came back from Davos again, I sat down with him again, and uh, he said, okay, they mean it. Now they mean it. And obviously in Trafigura, we uh, trade 6.5% of world oil consumption every day. We uh, run a very significant fleet. We are a huge user of third-party tonnage, of which m much of that tonnage comes out of Greece as well. But we have a challenge, and that is our company cannot de decarbonize if the industry doesn't decarbonize. So we took up a position that we need to take responsibility, and that's what we did. So going back to our transport fuels of the future, we came to realize that they're hydrogen-based. That we realized in 2020. Uh, we subsequently publicized some uh, scientific papers on this, and we also did a white paper on a global need for carbon levy in 2020. And uh, we were met with a, a lot of skepticism, a lot of criticism. And uh, I remember speaking to Marshall Islands in Q4 2020, and they were saying, listen, it was discussed in 2013, 2014, market-based measures within the IMO. 
it's never going to happen. And uh, thankfully to Greta and other people, then there has been a transition. A transition was ongoing, but nobody seemed to know, including ourselves, how, fast, how far it had come. So I like to think that we were part of pushing Meisler Islands to promote, uh, uh, provide the carbon levy proposal in Q4 2020. January 21, uh, we, I'm on a panel, at the UN Climate Champion uh, panel, and this is Scandinavian Climate Ambassador. He's confirming it's never going to happen. And four months later, our CEO is invited at the UN to participate in a roundtable around what needs to happen. In Q1 into Q2 2020, we see Japan, and as you've seen from before, from Class NK, Japan provided a fee-based proposal. Our white paper was a fee-based proposal. So we know Japan took it up and they used it as inspiration, which of course we are proud of. We can only hope that what Japan has done will be continued. But we saw this skepticism and we saw it. But what we also have seen, we've seen a mindset change, first and foremost within the IMO, because as everybody was skeptical, as, as time progressed, we started to see that people are saying, oh, maybe it is possible. And we've now come to the situation and we go back to the last MEPC meeting and suddenly, carbon proposal, carbon pricing is on the table. And what I will tell you now, if it doesn't happen, we will not be successful at deep shipping decarbonization. And how can I say that with certainty? So in Trafigura, we are participating in different uh, investment activities. We are looking into green ammonia projects. We are actually also potentially one of the biggest investors in the largest hydrogen project in Europe where I have a board position myself. So I get to see and feel it on close hands myself. So what we have done with the Renewable Fund, and it's not about us, but it's about the challenge that the industry holds, this is how and where will the green fuels come from? And we have earlier panel today talking about who pays the bill. Our challenge and my challenge and what we see as the problem is, will the fuels be available? And the answer is the fuels will not be available unless we get a significant carbon pricing. And that's what, again, if we don't get a regulatory framework which enables paying for premium green fuels, well, then it will not become available at all. And I give you an example. In Norway, we spent 10 million euros with partners to mature a green, hydro, uh, a green ammonia project. But we cannot bring it on and spend another 20 million euros because currently there's no off-takers to pay 11, 1200 euros per ton of green ammonia. And it needs to be a 10 year offtake. It could be a ship owner, it could be a trading house, it could be an oil major. But the market is not yet there to take that risk. So what do we do? We delay. And this is the problem. In the US, where you have some of the best global financial incentives to produce green fuels, you have the Inflation Reduction Act, where the US has made 325 billion available for the promotion and creation of green fuels. This could be blue ammonia, it could be green ammonia, it could be methanol. The largest, one of the largest ammonia traders and producers, Nutrien, recently halted their blue ammonia project. And blue ammonia probably comes at half the cost of green methanol. And we know from technology providers that this can actually be carbon sequestered. So it has a 90% CO2 reduction versus the fossil fuels that we have today. The nutrient public statement was, we don't see the demand drivers. So it goes back to demand. We are not seeing the demand and I don't think, we don't think that we will see demand before we have a carbon pricing which cost mitigates, it cost neutralizes the cost of fossil fuels versus zero, low and zero emission fuels. So this is one significant challenge 
that we have at the moment. And everybody in this room and in our industry should go to the IMO and push as hard as we can. And then we have recent targets that were set for 2030, 2040, and 2050. Those targets are good, but the challenge again is how do we deeply decarbonize? And the hockey stick sits with the carbon pricing. But the challenge is also this precious hydrogen that will become available in Europe. Will we have it available for our industry? And as of today, when you look into where is it going to be produced, what is it going to get converted to, and, and we have an idea, uh, well, the challenge is the other hard to abate industries. They are governed by national governments, and they are subsidized by go uh, go national governments. And as a global industry, we are up against that. I give you an example. In Denmark at the moment, Ace to Energy, where Trafigura is a large shareholder, We've, uh, by Christmas this year, we would have spent $30 million uh, maturing this project. The challenge here is we need hydrogen pipelines. So as we have been a big advocate for carbon pricing in the IMO, we are now also a big advocate for hydrogen infrastructure in Europe. So this precious hydrogen can reach the hard-to-abate sectors in Germany, and mostly particular, the steel industry. So what has happened to the steel industry in Germany? Well, you have seen Germany, and it may not be at the radar of anyone, or very few in this room, probably you, Minister. ThyssenKrupp has been given 2.2 billion to decarbonize. This is one company. Salzgitter has been given 1 billion to decarbonize, and they will be needing green hydrogen. So the green hydrogen that we are going to produce in Europe, where is this going to end up? And I'm asking you. Do you think this will be converted to green fuels that we can go and buy as a shipping industry when we don't have a cost neutralization? Or do you think that Germany will win and it will be supplied to the German steel industry? I, on a company purpose, I actually think and I probably also hope that Germany and the steel industry will win. But as a shipping passionate, that's not what I hope for us in this room. Because I really hope that we will get hold of this precious green hydrogen. But of course, even more important is that the society decarbonizes in full. And then it may, maybe it matters less whether it's the steel industry or whether it's the shipping industry. But the key is both industry can actually transition and decarbonize. Back to the mindset change. And we've seen it in the shipping space and we're seeing it politically now in the hydrogen space. I go back. So we spend a lot of time meeting politicians in Denmark to let them understand what it can do for energy, Europe's energy security. And we have a structural energy problem in Europe, and we obviously know that because we have to import a lot from a country which we are not happy importing it from. The whole challenge is that we need to unlock the North Sea and the offshore potential. The challenge we have in Europe is we don't have capacity in our grid. The grid is congested. We know that trucking is going to go electric or a little bit on hydrogen, so that's going to be the grid. Yeah? But we need, we need the North Sea to open up so we can land all this green electricity. It will be converted into hydrogen because the grid cannot take it. And that goes back to the fact, okay, so will the hydrogen industry in Europe become more price competitive over time so we can produce competitive price green fuels? I, we think yes, but probably not in the first five to ten years. So then we have to look outside. So green hydrogen, where will it be produced? Well, it is currently cheaper to produce in the global south, and that's a little bit of a dangerous phrase, but let's call it African countries, South America, uh, Middle East, where there's strong soil and wind. And these countries also happens to be quite important within the IMO. 
And that's also why we publicized our white paper on the opportunity for the Global South in May. So we talk into these countries so they actually can go and understand what it means, what the shipping renewable transition can do for them. And what can it do? So think about, let's say if Africa becomes more wealthy, let's say if we have a renewable transition in Africa on the back of shipping, because as what I said before, industrial Europe will take care of itself because the governments nationally will fix it. That is my funda our fundamental belief, because there's so much at stake job-wise, pollution-wise in each country. But again, we are a global industry. So, but what can shipping decarbonization do for Africa? Well, if Africa gets more wealthy, if we, if we think it one step forward, will it mean less refugees to Europe? Probably. And we are standing here in our industry and we're talking about should, should we not have a carbon levy and, should, and how big should it be? It's nonsense that we're even talking about it because the econ economical impact for everyone, of all of us, for Europe, for energy security, for world balance, it's there. We're holding the keys to this transition. And I think it's just so important that everybody realizes that because then actually it becomes and pushes for it because it just has to happen. As it happens, then I can with certainty tell you that funds will be made available. It's not about whether there's billions available. Copenhagen Infra Infrastructure Partners, one of Europe's largest renewable funds, they recently raised 6.4 billion. And they can easily raise, and we sit close with them, we are co-owners of our Norwegian Green Ammonia project. They're telling us it's totally not about availability of funds. We have plenty of funds. The Americans, the private equity uh, companies in the US, they don't have places to put the money in the US. They're coming to Europe now. Okay, but the challenge is all the green projects are in the, in the US, that's where the subsidy measures are there that gives an economic environment where transition can happen. But the key is, and money is there. So it's not about access to money. Finance, we also understand that financing banks, they're so keen to finance the green transition. But most of these projects are going to be done on non-recourse basis because they're done between partners who don't own the same balance sheet. It's also the case for ourselves. We have two to three very large projects. They're all with partners. And we cannot lend our balance sheet on behalf of our partners like they cannot lend their balance sheet to us. So it will be done on non-recourse basis. And no bank can do a project which has a negative return because then they will not get their money back. And I have no personal aggregation against that because that's natural common sense. But it's just the fact the banks will be there when it's a financially viable project. And of course, margins will be lower when it is a green project. So again, we are fortunate that all the, the, the financial environments are there that we can actually make the transition happen. Going back to the mindset change, and, and, and why do I just want to spend a few minutes on mindset change? Because we need to understand that things can change faster than we think. And that's what we've seen. But going back, around our push for hydrogen pipelines connecting Denmark to Germany, because otherwise then we cannot open up the North Sea, we cannot grant land the green electricity, and Germany cannot decarbonize the steel industry. The German energy minister has understood it. He's telling the Danish energy minister, this is, we will take your hydrogen. But in Denmark, to give you an example, we met the same energy spokesperson for a leading political party three times. The third time he asked me, what did we talk about last time? That hurt. We had a national election in Denmark last year. The new minister has understood the hydrogen transition has come. And that is the way to unlock 
the North Sea and all the green power and electricity we have, which needs to be made available to Europe. This is good. So it's all becoming more tangible and realistic. But my message here today, one of the messages, is shipping decarb. It can happen, but we have a real risk of, of deep shipping decarbonizing being delayed unless carbon pricing happens as soon as possible. There is a very high probability that shipping decarbonization will become more expensive if we delay it. Because other industries will mature faster, they will be able to pay more, and they will be able to, as they mature the industries, we will have less access to this, these fuels that are so critical for our industry. So, uh, I could talk a lot more, but uh, we are at a pace. Things have picked up. I'm always moving. Uh, we should push continuously. It can happen. I believe it will happen because we have no other choice for our industry. So, uh, one last thing. Transparency and shipping emissions. Global Maritime Forum has done a great job building up the Poseidon principles, the insurance principles, and then we have the Sea Cargo Charter, which was also mentioned earlier. Sea Cargo Charter is about transparent emission reporting where we actually compare apples and apples. It's very difficult to understand one owner's emissions reporting to another's. So I can only, as chairman of Sea Cargo Charter, also promote the Sea Cargo Charter. Uh, there are representatives, various representatives here today, also within the Sea Cargo Charter, we are aiming for global standardized emission, voyage emission reporting, so we all can compare alike for alike. Minister, ladies and gentlemen, Nicholas, Capital Link organizers, thank you very much. I'm humble, I'm proud, and I'm very happy, and thank you so much.